welcome one and all across the Alpha Quadrant and beyond to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. You're telling the whole ship about us? Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 205, an embarrassment of duplers comes to you now via Tulak's shifter. Pete, across all our Star Trek feeds, of course, we have the uh, analysis from Star Trek Day, which uh, is just recently in the rearview mirror. Of course, many of those panels now uh, also up on StarTrek.com, on the Star Trek Paramount Plus, so forth, uh, YouTube. They don't have the entire, the entire thing, but they have all the different segments there, and... Um, you know, I, I think many people noticed some of the kind of production um, bumps in the road, but I think overall people are happy with the content that was delivered. And amidst all the positivity, Matt, somehow a jerk snuck in and heckled Wilson Cruz, who is essentially now not just an ambassador for uh, his show in Star Trek Discovery, uh, but really the entire brand and positivity as far as lgbtq is concerned and just an all-around great person uh with a homophobic slur yeah um it's funny it was like the next day and i was seeing thing seeing him commenting on twitter like in response to the moment but i didn't exactly know what was going on and just i mean it's reprehensible that anyone would use language like that towards anyone else let alone a star trek fan towards wilson cruz at a Star Trek Day event, um, one would hope that that person was escorted out. Um, and, and Pete, for as much as I think there were some production issues with Star Trek Day, I mean the fact that the fact that that did not impact um, the live Star Trek Day experience, I, I guess a credit to that production as well. Um, on Wilson Cruz's Instagram, um, I had left the comment, and of course, Pete, you know, you, you know. None of these people ever look at their Instagram or even have their assistants look at their Instagram and whatnot. Um, I had left a, a comment on one of his posts about just the the, the general uh, positivity of Star Trek Day. I said, thank you for all that you do in this world. Not just the characters you play, but the character and decency you show in public. And Pete, I got the like from Wilson Cruz and I got the, uh, I got the kiss emoji from Wilson Cruz. Uh, Pete, I must confess, normally I'm not into kiss emojis from dudes, but... Uh, <laughs> I will have it this way, Pete. I remember all the way back seeing him on my so-called life and so forth. And uh, you know what, Pete? I'll take it. I'll take the kiss emoji just this once. He had posted um, a, a photo on uh, his social media and he said, I wondered if this was the moment when I heard what was said. And I think he was taken aback, too, by you know, the response and, and he didn't want to let the negative overshadow again, the positive, like if you don't understand the message of star Trek and you're going to an event like that and doing what was done. Um, and you know, Wilson Cruz has just been phenomenal in some, some dark times has really been again, that voice of positivity and activism in the room, I think his entire cast and again the entire brand looks to him. He is so frequently on these panels uh, because they know what they're going to get out of him in, in terms of 
the optimism that he brings and uh yeah you know just just the way to go about uh you know what you do he is the example with that let's head to the ready rundown program complete enter when ready captain freeman and company are escorting a dupler emissary the duplers being a species that duplicate when embarrassed Every accommodation is made, including when the emissary drops his fork, Ransom drops his too. So stressful. But they're headed to Starbase 25, where the Starfleet brass party is going to be epic. But later, the emissary overhears how difficult it's been for Freeman and the other officers, and there's a duplication incident on the bridge. Freeman tells the crew to just smile and look away. It's getting worse and worse until Freeman tells the duplers off, and berating them combines them, Yell at them. Problem solved, and the command staff is ready to party. Dress whites are on, but Freeman's not on the list. She gives an inspiring speech, but she's still not getting in. Meanwhile, Boimler and Mariner are on crate-stacking duty. If only Boimler was still on the Titan. Though, you know, William, the transporter clone, has an invite. That's how the pair can get to the party. With all the Dupler chaos, it's easy to sneak over to Starbase 25. And they do. Mariner knows her way around, she used to live there, and a Tellarite notes Becky Mariner is back. Another alien, Malvis, has bad memories of Becky, but he needs her to help move Commander Data Bubble Bath. They drive a cart and find out the Bubble Bath is a front for Klingon disruptor sales. Station security is on them, and Mariner peels out. Chase sequence, including Easter eggs and backward time. They twist and turn through the ship levels, then end up in the aviary, nearly hitting a gardener before the cart ends up in the drink. Boimler is barfing bubble bath. Malvis ends up telling Mariner to head to Ballroom Alpha, and the pair does, but only Boimler is let in. They split up, having a moment about being vulnerable with each other. But in the party, Boimler sees the OG Kelpian design, Captain Shelby and DJ Okana. Mariner ends up in an old, boring bar, and ultimately Boimler joins her. Each wouldn't abandon the other, number one. They're not the first pair to end up there after striking out at the party. Kirk and Spock landed here in 2260-something and carved their names in the bar. They see the Cerritos command crew moping about outside and invite them in, but not before the Dupler emissary apologizes. He'd like somewhere to relax, and Captain Freeman has him beamed into the Starfleet brass party. Meanwhile, meanwhile... Tendy and Rutherford are making a working model of the Cerritos. They used to do this before Rutherford lost his memory. That said, they need to clear out of the bar. It's being used for Dupler storage. The ship is oddly wired. Who made some of these wiring choices? The pair are cornered in the shuttle bay. Dupler's everywhere, and it's getting worse. They can't use the maintenance hatch. It was sealed months ago, and Rutherford doesn't remember that. His memory troubles make him feel like he's competing with his ghost. But old him never finished the model either. It was a thing that the two could do together and keep others away. They eject the model's warp core, get to the maintenance hatch, and escape. The pair ends up at the old bar on the station, ready to work on a DS9 model. A few meters away, Freeman's glad she's there. Everyone she hangs with is here, and she watches with pride as Mariner and Boimler play fight over who's the number one. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. 
with the red alert happening, Pete, let's talk about the greatest threat of this episode, the Duplers. Had it not been voiced by Richard Kind, this might have been a little much. But what he injected into it with his voice, that it was self-contained within the episode. I mean, there's no way they'd ever do that in a live action episode. That type of character couldn't happen. Um, but I, I thought it was a cute and fun conceit. Okay, it gets embarrassed, multiplies, figure out, end of the episode, again, contain it within that. You yell at them, they contract. I would agree that duplers in a live action show probably would not survive the the um writing editing process that said pete wharf in a mud bath with naked walks on a troy like <laughs> is it are the duplers that far from the the wharf in a mud bath humor i mean it's not it's 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 almost there it's almost conceivable i mean maybe maybe um you know, we got strange new worlds coming uh, next year. Maybe, maybe the, the duplers were giving us an advanced uh, look there. The, the little that um, lower decks, it, it dawned on me today. You know, they're they're able to pull from so much. They're not able to. It's a conceit of the show introduces much. I mean, yes, the the cast of characters and the ship but frequently it's like, well, we're going to use this reference that already exists or whatever. Uh, so, hey, may, maybe the Duplers, the, the big bad of the 18th uh, Star Trek live action uh, show down the road, uh, you know, originate here. <laughs> or like a short trek. I mean, come on, look, get Richard <laughs> Kind. OK, put him in some put him in a plum colored coat and some slightly well, non-human I mean, makeup, you know. What what did they do? They did, they did, you know, um, bipedal uh, tribbles. <laughs> yeah, that they did. Um, and I kind of, I mean, not that it's exactly a life lesson, but it's kind of like, hey, don't be overly embarrassed. And hey, sometimes you need to hear the tough, tough love, tough news. Sometimes you just need it delivered. You need the news delivered to you straight. For what the Duplers were, that's a that's a good enough that's a good enough message. Had to get them to to the uh, diplomatic situation and and stress the tension of a diplomatic situation. And again, as we mentioned at the top with Star Trek, you know the the ever looking forward ideal here that if you would have a race that uh, would be embarrassed or self conscious, that you would move past it and and how careful, how stressful that could be for a crew. Pete, I like that you are reminding us that in in Star Trek, there is inherent good in everyone. There's no clear baddies. Let's not talk about Malvis, who has the word mal, meaning bad, in his name. <laughs> Clearly an inherent baddie in this story. Yeah, this Mizarian, uh, that race first seen in the... Uh, Next Generation, uh, Season 3, Episode 18, Allegiance, the one where Picard wakes up in a room with um, several different aliens and they're all suspicious of one another. And this guy, this race, immediately uh, recognizable. 
Um, absolutely. I must confess, Pete, the, the, um, I recognized the race. I didn't recognize it from that episode. In part, Pete, yeah, sometimes I get a little confused between the episode where Picard woke up and he didn't know where he was and the time that Riker woke up and he didn't know where he was or the time Crusher woke up on the Enterprise, but it actually wasn't the Enterprise that she thought it was. Um, but yeah, it's a great... It's a trope. <laughs> it is. Um, 100 and whatever, 100 and... Did they get as high as 172? I feel like that's what it is. Anyhow, as many episodes as TNG did, there's always going to be a little little uh, familiar road. Um, but instantly recognizable, as you said, and great design, uh, and also translates really well to animation. Holding an original series, original phaser. Uh, so not often that you see that, the one that really looks... Uh, like a gun and and less like the phasers that we're uh, familiar with. And I appreciate, I mean, look, most of Lower Decks tends to be um, more lighthearted than not. If this was our most lighthearted episode of the season so far, so be it. I mean, the Duplers don't even give the um, the supposed threat of, of uh, the Packleds, as has been you know, recent in the last two seasons, uh, or that sort of thing. Similarly, I kind of appreciate that Malvis, I mean, he's a bad guy, and I know, fine, like I said, Mal, bad, and so forth, but it's kind of like, he's just a gray market rascal, you know, he's willing to, he's willing to screw, screw uh, the, the fates of uh, Becky Mariner, because she had done that to him, and then, you know, she doesn't get caught, and she's going to threaten back to him, so okay, I'll tell you where it is, like, it's just kind of like, you know, it's like honor among low-level thieves. And then in concert with the threat of Malvis here, this crooked station security that uh, Mariner says is not only going to impound their ride, but steal their comm badges and sell them on the black market. Yeah, we look, we obviously in Deep Space Nine saw the idea of a non uh, a non Starfleet only station and the, the crossroads of the universe and all of that. It was nice to get a place that, uh, as Boimler said, it's it's just this big, massive place. It's nice to have um, Mariner's perspective of, you know, it's changed over time. Oh, look, they have a Quarks. That used to just be an empty lot. Like, things like that. Um, and to even have this station security, which I guess, I mean, can we assume that they weren't Starfleet? Or if they were, there still is this reputation of, like, you know, the military police, the MPs that'll crack you over the head because they're like the crack people over the head that kind of thing it just it it gave it gave the station a real authentic lived-in sense so pete let's set our sensors towards theories uh where do you stand in the in the future potential hierarchy is it mariner and boimler or boimler and mariner I mean, if you go off what she says at the end, who's number one, and granted it's her mom that backs her up, but she's a captain. She heard it. She said that it's it's Mariner and then Boimler. I think we all see the greater inherent leadership to what's come before. I mean, gosh, if you're going to use Kirk plus Spock, scratched into the bar which we got to talk about in a second there um as the template well then obviously 
there's a type and she's the Kirk type and he's a little bit more like Spock. Well, speak your truth about the bar. Uh, I, I suspect you're going to say, you know, and nobody knows about this etching and uh, it's just there out in the open as opposed to, you know, under plexiglass or transparent aluminum. But what's your what's your concern? Well, one, it had to be pointed out to them, which. OK, they were sitting right on top of it Two, OK. So Kirk was there. Obviously, he did most of the drinking. He pulls out something and scratches that in there. And then, Matt, let's really dig in there. There was a plus. And I know you know what slash fiction is. Um, I guess I had not considered it like that. Um, so I, I'm not quite sure what my thoughts are on the matter there. Uh, how about this, Pete? Are you, at least on one level, are you proposing that it is a call out to uh, the slash fiction folks? The, I mean, the plus is is a hundred percent intentional. Um, you could have put an ampersand. Um, you could have just had, you know, Kirk and Spock were here. You know, that classic graffiti. Um, that I think was highly intentional. Uh, they didn't put a heart around it like you would on a tree or something, so they didn't <laughs> want to go there. But I, I think. And I think within that, too, like, hey, people who have written slash fiction, which is in a lot of uh, different fandoms and really kind of started with a groundswell with people who think, hey, Kirk and Spock had a thing for one another. And if that's your headcanon and you want to have it and you want to write uh, fanfic about it, you do you. So. After Tendi was upped to A story status a few weeks ago, she's been squarely caught in the BC story range. What's up with that? I, I think just shifting them around, I think, in the context of this episode. I mean, let's be honest. The, the C story here wasn't great. It, it's a hangover of, well, Rutherford has memory issues. And initially, for me, the holdup was, all right, they're going to play with a model. They're going to play with a toy all episode. And obviously, they cross with the Dupler story, with uh, the B story. Um, but then I'm like, well, wait a minute. So they're playing with this model of the ship. Enterprise, the Enterprise, had all those models of the ship. Wait a minute. Were they also mini warp capable shield having phaser firing things wait they've made this retroactively more interesting <laughs> i like too that we had the second appearance uh in as many episodes and second appearance since 1970s of the kazinti um officer yes that, you yes know, which was i mean in both instances it's been kind of background but you know I think he had the phaser fired at him or as we went into a tighter shot, he was walking by there as they were starting to work on the model. Um, and I don't this, think we called it out last week. Um, I, I don't think that we did. And certainly it was more minor than this week, but uh, great to have that. I'm pretty sure that the stat that I read on memory alpha was 
nobody's nobody's spotted a Kazinti in Star Trek since the slaver weapon episode of T. That's T-A-S. not true. There's there's one in uh, Star Trek Four. Is it really? There is a live action uh, Kazinti in Star Trek Four at the uh, the the Federation headquarters slash trial situation. Yeah. Got it. I may have mistaken that person as Cation, but I know I know who you mean. Yeah, in that in that is it the Federation Council? The Star yeah. whatever it is. In the 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 UN dignitaries have important things to say uh, scene. Let's um, let's get this one in the bar to talk here and, and talk about Wittershuns. <laughs> um so Next week, we start the second half of the season. I remain spoiler-free. I've chosen not to watch the mid-season trailer. Any non-spoiler predictions that you want to make for the rest of season two, Pete? That they went back to the memory thing with Rutherford, I think, was important, and they wanted to push the story football forward there. Okay, I had written messages on this thing. It's it's about our uh, rapport to want to finish this project so we continue to spend time with one another. So clearly they felt that, that was important to touch upon. Um, I think the packlets too, that Carol Freeman can't get into this uh, Starfleet after party, um, that her ship's not of a high enough class, that her accomplishments aren't uh, great enough. For all the acceptance of Star Trek, was a little incongruous, but it's part of the story. We have to have them as, as outsiders. Um, I think that's important too. And that the Titan was placed deterring the Packlids. Cause I think they're going to cross again. We, we got to get Billy Boimler, uh, and, and Bradford or Bradward, right? Yeah. Bradward, Bradford, yeah. Um, back together again. So does that, presage a return of Riker. Oh yeah, you have to. Any other um legacy characters that you see turning up? Not at the moment, but what I like about this show is yes, there's the ones they'll tell you well out ahead of time, all right, hey, Delancey is, is gonna be on there. Um and they wound up giving you uh more than what you bargained for there. Um that they they kind of ride under the radar that they that they kept the um, the Frakes Marina Sturtees thing and the Titan for the end of season one so close to the vest made that finale awesome. Um, so who knows what they could come with here? I mean, they mentioned it, it's cute with the whole Deep Space Nine model toy that one the brand is Quark. Uh, so not just does he have a franchise seemingly everywhere they stop, although there was also a lucky Ferengi uh, franchise or business on this this station, uh, but that he's diversified, of course, into to models and that it includes uh, tiny versions of trail Starfleet uh, people that he's you know, uh, worked alongside, uh, who knows what they could dip into. Do you think we get any lower decks character 
stakes given is how we didn't know the rules of the show last season and what did they do last season they killed off a bridge officer and they wrote boimler quote-unquote out of the show although i don't think that we thought boimler was going to stay gone um but they did both of those and we bought into it and we bought into the emotional weight of boimler coming back we bought into the longer you know setup and joke of and sometimes bridge officers come back and here's all the different ways that star trek does that um can the show do that again like you know for all for all for as much as we were like oh man they killed off shacks i had a lump in my throat like i'm not falling for that again i think <laughs> the captain's reputation has repeatedly been something they've looked at um so can she get promoted to a different vessel? Does that uh, change who Mariner is by having her mom for, for moving out from under her mom's shadow? We know that she doesn't worry about, you know, what she can do when mom is around, but does it dramatically change the show? All right, mom is no longer my captain. Now it's on. Um, one more thing out of me, even though I said the one more thing a couple, <laughs> a couple things ago, um, I appreciate that on a certain level, we got some justice for Captain Shelby. I think that, <laughs> I think that in 1990, um, Shelby was, Shelby was an easy straw man for us to all dislike because, uh, here she is all, you know, looking to get promotions and looking to get the job done and not very Star Trek ladylike at all in terms of answering the space phone or fighting with Gene and getting written off for season two of Next Generation and then being brought back when they realized they were losing women left and right. Like she was very kind of in your face and probably many people back in, in the day, uh, perhaps people a little older than you and me, you know, might have called her a witch or similar words. I think with more modern eyes, you look at best of both worlds one and two and go, um, here she is going, this is a serious threat. You guys need to stop, you know, uh, dentists offing around and take this seriously. And Riker's like, no, let's fall. You know, like I think her character has aged well and I'm glad that she gets a little call out here for, and then she went on to great things and to be a captain herself. I know she was featured in a series of books. Um, and yeah, I would agree with you. They they play it a, a little heavy back then. Uh, you know the the B story with what was going on with with Riker and, and pushing him there. Um, but yeah, nice to see her get some some due and uh, some recognition. What uh, theories do you have? Uh, I find it interesting. So this starbase where they have these epic after parties at this diplomatic conference that there are stories of captains uh, imbibing and then taking ships out for joy rides in the, in the in-between world that lower decks inhabits where, as we've said many times before, you know, it's both canonical and in the star Trek universe, but it's leveraging some, animated stuff you know as you said earlier it's easier to do the duplers here than it is you know the week you know uh, on the next episode of next generation when, when last week's episode was about captain picard getting tortured this week we're gonna do silly richard kind duplicate you know like it, it doesn't quite fit um 
do you buy the rumor of ship taking ships out while they're drunk? Do you buy the rumor as true or do you buy the rumor as, you know, like, you know, does Lieutenant Commander Pete say, no, that can't possibly be true? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think given the conceit of the show, I could see both. You know, the guy got halfway to the Delta Quadrant before he, you know, sobered up. I, I, I guess it, it's what they're telling me. I, I don't see that I can't buy it. Uh, fair enough. What else is on your theory? Space the the scants um, that, that they're still around, that they're an option, although we're told nobody wears them. It's it's this kind of stuff that the, the show delves into uh, that, yes, you, you really saw male crewmen wearing these in the first couple uh episodes of uh the next generation and uh hey if you you want to wear one though nobody wears them anymore you can though to be fair the scant dress uniform not dress in uh i don't know a traditionally feminine style but dress in terms of being dressed up i that was that was certainly much of the next generation era yes yeah so um, you know, just a, a nice reference there. Um, Mariner's nickname. I think we have to talk a little bit about that. Um, what Becky Mariner? I like it. Uh, Becky is not a really flattering uh, nickname, potentially. Why is that? Isn't it just a... there's a, there's some baggage with. Uh, the nickname Becky, it, it's kind of like I, I chafe at the the, the uh, nickname du jour uh, of Karen. I am married to a Karen and I don't like that, you know, uh, women who complain of a type are called Karen because obviously uh, that's that's my wife's name. And I don't think she fits that in the least. Uh, Becky has some baggage. So ultimately, Pete, the notion here of a Becky being a, let's just say, uh, ignorant younger person. Um, do you think, do you think that connection was intended in the show? Or do you think that it's meant to call back, you know, kind of like, um, you know, you call him Richard now, but when he was in uh, elementary school, he called him Ricky. Like, is it is it meant to be kind of a a, a, a juniorization or a demutization of I her mean, younger days? You know, what do you think? Getting Becky out of Beckett uh, seems a little odd, but reasonable enough. Um, and again, to imply familiarity, it, it was an interesting choice with the baggage that that goes along with it. I think if nothing else, it's it's like yet another post-it note in the basket of things we know in fragment about Mariner's past. You know, when was she? she it wasn't just that she flew by there or had a, had a ruckus there once, lived on the station. What's up with that? Is it when mom was stationed there? Dad was stationed there? Was it part of Mariner's own... Um, own career i know we had wondered last week are we ever going to get the full story and i think after the podcast i spent a lot of time on memory alpha which 
the article on Mariner could be improved, but it does try to pull these different things together while, you know, I mean, there's no chronological rhyme or reason to them. Um, it would be fun that maybe they never answer this. And we just get to the end of the show <laughs> and go, um, somebody's done the math. If you consider an average six month posting based on whatever evidence, uh, it means that she's been in Starfleet for 90 years, you know, and that, that's and is... what I want to see. What I mentioned last week at the end of this series that you can chart the number of places that she's been, that she would have been a, the most moved around and the longest tenured, um, officer in the history of Starfleet. <laughs> I think that could be a lot of fun. And then you built in all the, you know, lore and her mystique that she's done. Uh, so she knows Malvis here in his shop. Uh, we learn that uh, she once marooned him on SETI Alpha 4, <laughs> which is worse than five <laughs> and definitely not six. Um, but we mentioned Riker before. There's that blue sash coat wraparound thing in a case in Malvis's shop there. The the one that he uh, wears when he's off duty and or, um, you know, going through a uh, uh, what's the, the thing he's undergoing, like the therapy and he's really a prisoner. Oh, yeah. Uh, that episode. Uh, I had not noticed that. I did notice, I believe it was in Malvis's shop, there were like, um, there were tubes of, of cloth, which I think was meant to be a callback to um, Encounter Farpoint. I know Crusher is shopping for cloth and they're in tubes and she says, send it to the ship or something like that. Part of the fun, I think, of the Starbase in this episode is that it is so filled with Easter eggs, mm -hmm. but it's not like... Um, which episode was that? Kayshawn, his eyes open. What was the one that had, um, what was the one where from this season where they, the collector had, uh, yeah, was Kayshawn, his eyes open, like where the collector episode challenged you to spot yeah. all the Easter eggs. This was just, you know, Pete, I'll use a more star Wars term. This, this was just a lived in place that happened to be populated by a bunch of things that were Easter eggs maybe without the challenge of, you know, find the Easter eggs and could apparently smell like pee. And at one point have wayward teens. <laughs> um, yeah. So many quirk uh, things throughout the uh, universe. Of course, they're, they're going to have one there. Um, the, the barber shop and we've got uh, a, a Mott. Um, what's that? Uh, that race there. Those, those the bullions. What's that? The Bolians. The Bolians. Okay. Uh, the I thought initially it was a uh, Star Trek insurrection. Hey, here's that you know cart that uh, Picard, Data, and Worf go out on. But then the wheels are different. There's like a Tron vibe to it, and the chase obviously that ensues there. You've got uh, one of Morn's species. They run up. To, you've got the the pike chair in the chase. No, no, even, no, no. So, some avians from the animated series in the in the menagerie there. Yeah. Um, as for the cart, I mean, I still remember, I still remember that showing up in the Next Generation movies. And Pete, I don't know what God needs with the starship. I don't know what starship crews need with 
a cart like that other than to have a great action scene um so i think i think that this was certainly meant to be the spiritual successor of that kind of cart and that kind of thing that of course in starfleet you know how to drive the carts um because i guess on a certain level it does make story sense it's just not part of the star trek visual language um again unless you're trying to come up with the things for the movie the bar at the end uh there's a number of visual references there's a mini guardian of forever up on the uh shelf there mm-hmm. caught that uh, one what's that I-, I caught that one on the bar itself sitting upright is uh the phoenix is Zephram Cochran's ship who knows if you know that's like where you you, you pull the the nacelles there and you you get a little lager uh, and then there's a doomsday machine all the way up at the top. Yeah, and I only I noticed the Phoenix on second view. I noticed the doomsday machine on the first view. I think it was second view for the the um, Guardian Forever as well. Again, it just I, I I was rubbed a little. I was rubbed the wrong way in case on his eyes open with all the Easter eggs, and for some reason they all worked here. Maybe it was completely my perspective on both and not. Uh, not a show thing but it just it was so much fun in this episode to have all those details i think too particularly normally the average lower decks episode is you know like it's tng um template you know it's ship based you sometimes go to a planet sometimes you don't but it's very ship based it's very you know recycle those sets or in the case of this you know recycle the the previously drawn um locations to have something here that's so so original and then of course well you have to fill it with stuff so of course it calls into easter eggs it just really really worked and then the dj at the party is the outrageous okana um yes love that detail for some reason i have a crossed wire in my brain that goes back to the first couple seasons of tng if you tell me who's okana i'm always going to say the outrageous okana i'm my mind then goes to the holodeck comedian that joe piscopo played and i'm kind of used to like mixing up the two so as soon as i saw the uh billy campbell aka william campbell looking character i was like all right that's the the rascal i think i have rattling around in my head that billy campbell was in the running for Riker and was like second or third place um so that would have been a different that would have been a different world there because his his career his career didn't you know, he, he hasn't had jonathan frakes's career but like that um but that was just a fun detail. I guess I, I had in my head that we were going to get Okana speaking, that there was going to be Billy Campbell voice cameo, and clearly that was <laughs> not the case here. But it works either way. With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. Pete, we start as we always do with our Twitter poll. I want you to know, though I'm kind of, I really am locked in to, you know, for, for the Star Trek shows that we podcast, I'm not going to do a 4-3-2-1. That's just because there's people who downvote it for, for no good reason. Um, I accidentally wandered across a 4-3-2-1 for this one because to me, well, anyhow, well, let me take you through the poll. Uh, beer emoji, Boims plus Bex equals Kirk plus Spock, question mark, got 26.1%. Um, Pete, I can only assume that there were some people who hate Lower Decks, who watch every week, who were foaming at the mouth at the notion. I, and I don't think it's a notion that the show is really selling, but the, but the, the notion that um, 
Mariner and Boimler are the successors to Kirk and Spock and will go on to have careers like Kirk and Spock because of things they etched into a bar. I'm just kind of tickled pink that there might have been people angered by that. Uh, Next up with uh, two headphone emojis, DJ Okana in Dahizzi got (laughs) 17.4%. Three robot emojis, Shampoo My Data got 21.7%. And then uh, Pete, four gold uh, spheres. No, no, not talking the uh bond family crest instead trying to evoke those captain's pips you did it shelby got 34.8 percent <laughs> um we heard from james the sagacious that's at big killing on twitter the show just keeps getting better boim's getting some courage and the captain showing us mariner didn't fall far from the tree uh jt adkins that's at jta is me really glad i had this to cheer me up after watching uh marvel's what if uh which Pete, we had mentioned during the What If podcast, a well-made but downer of an episode of What If. And then we get, it shows, Pete, that the, the, the multiverses of geekdom really do do you a favor. Because this was maybe the most uplifty of the Lower Decks episodes this season. Um, but back to JT here. Uh, loved it with a double shot of Ractagino. So many, so many little call-outs. The decor of the historic bar. Too many to mention. Great pacing, zippy humor. It's like a madcap 1940s comedy in all the right ways. And a nice tweak of the Trek trope. Diplomacy saves the day uh, with uh, insult saves the day. And was that a wheelchair pike at Alex Kurtzman? Uh, You'll nail this episode, Star Trek on P+. So, uh, Pete, great praise there from JT Atkins. Absolutely. Although I don't know if P+, is going to take off. Yeah. Um, Pete, the name of the Twitter account is at Star Trek on P plus. That's the name I of think, it. I think they had a lot to fit on the line there. <laughs> the, uh, that they did. Uh, next, we hear from What of It, at, which is at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. It's not often a show makes me laugh out loud. This one does almost every week. Its ability to successfully draw from so much history is consistently impressive. Uh, we heard from Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf on Twitter. I can't say I was a fan of the Dupler storyline, but I loved the bar scenes. I like that Boimler and Mariner worked some things out. Looking forward to ordering my very own Data Bath products. So uh, unless get on it's that. a lore, which so they said they're limited edition Data Bubble Bath. There might be some lore. Okay, it's a joke. They're identical, but the lore would be more limited edition, wouldn't it? Yeah. And maybe filled with poison. Um, the difference probably is can you feel the button on the back? <laughs> there you go. Uh, we heard from Spider Ham Lincoln, uh, who then is about to have a conversation with the aforementioned JT Atkins. So let's start with Spider Ham Lincoln at Tess LC139. I was actually quite underwhelmed with this episode after raving about last week's Mugato ep. They all can't be great, and this Dupler one was certainly my least favorite to. Uh, favorite of season two so far. JT said, I feel a great disturbance in the force. Don't you and I usually agree in these reviews? Gotta admit, I loved this one. Uh, and then the last comment here from Spider-Ham Lincoln. Well, I just found the A and B plots not as enjoyable this time around. The Duplers I especially found annoying, although I instantly recognized Richard Kind's voice. And I've always liked him as an actor. They were just humanoid tribbles with whiny inferiority complexes. So, Pete, I think... Uh, I agree with Tess LC139 as to them being a triple knockoff. I know you said it earlier as well. 
to me, Pete, I enjoyed it as yet another entry in the uh, in the Star Trek canon and all the Star Trek things that we're podcasting. Absolutely. And if you want Star Trek right now, Matt, all the things uh, that were announced at Star Trek Day and we again did the Star Trek Day podcast, which you can find on our Lower Decks feed. You can find it on our Discovery feed. You can find it on our Star Trek Picard feed. Okay, the big announcements there, obviously, that Prodigy will begin streaming on October 28th, just two weeks after the Lower Decks season finale, um, and that Discovery Season 4 will begin streaming November 18th, uh, making it the first concurrent situation since 1999, since last century, Matt, to have two shows on at the same time. And of course, Picard season two will begin streaming at some point in February. We still don't technically have how many discovery episodes there will be. Although I guess we can triangulate. It's got to be more than 10 to get them uh, to that. Although, yeah, I mean, I mean, 12 would get us to February 3rd, 13, which is what I'm assuming would be the 10th. Um, I believe after that, there's only two more. Um, there's only two more Thursdays. So there's either 12 or 13 or 14 episodes of Discovery. It hadn't occurred to me until now, Pete, that the reason that they might not have given a Picard date, but a month is because they are, I won't say hiding, is because they're keeping from us the exact episode count let's stick a pin in that in case it is 12 or if it is or however whoever whatever let's let's keep an eye on that as a potential storyline for real world star trek news because that's a that's a great observation there i mean just that they had had so many interruptions they discussed it in the panels the other day that you know, they were one of the first productions back and really slowed and were deliberate how they did that, of course, being safe. Uh, and even then they had some bumps. So and we have all this Star Trek coming and Fantastic Geek is your destination for all of it. Indeed, Pete, this entire journey to the stars made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek, particularly in the last week where that that schedule has really gotten, I wouldn't say jam-packed, but it's gone to warp speed with all the great <laughs> Star Trek content that now is officially written in in pen or whatever the future version of pen would be, programmable matter pen. Um, it's just, it's so great to know, especially when there's other things going on and whatnot, and certainly when those real-world bills do come up, that we do have the, uh, the support of those on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. That we're going to be able to afford all this podcasting. Yes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you place the value on our content. Takes just a dollar a month to get you in that door. And there's all sorts of levels to contribute at. Can't contribute right now. You can absolutely still help us by going on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating in seconds or a review. Uh, our Lower Decks uh, feed could definitely use a little attention from you. And certainly Pete with uh, all the great animated content ahead that we're doing between now and the end of October or so. And certainly all the great star Trek content that we have between now and um, April or so. Uh, how can people be in touch with you to talk about star Trek? 
You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,037 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do me in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the P and the H. Like it today. As we look ahead to the second half of September, uh, which we'll click over to in this upcoming week, uh, we, of course, have the second half of the season for Lower Decks and What If. So if you're listening to us in the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be talking What If 106 next Saturday and Lower Decks 206 next Sunday. If you're here just for the Star Trek, we'll see you on Sunday as well. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Sometimes this job just feels like it's stacking crates in storage bays. She never fails to take my breath away. I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?